Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I think women have been given a lot of tools and support for breaking out of that box of femininity and to go beyond the traditional definitions of femininity, which I also think that idealized femininity you know, yeah, she's plastic. She's not necessarily connected to herself. And so the hope for a conversation around masculinity and maybe one that can be spurred from the Barbie movie is for men to have that same kind of reckoning with their idealized masculinity. You know, the Barbie movie celebrates femininity in so many beautiful ways. And I think we can totally celebrate masculinity while also saying, you know, men have a right to also connection and to feel masculine. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. We are so thrilled to have a reprise of Liz Plank. Our first conversation was about her book, For the Love of Men, in episode 119, and we encourage you to go check that out. Just go to therapistuncensored.com. In the search button, just put 119 or put Liz Plank, and you will find that episode. However, today's will stand alone, and you don't need to go find that episode. But you'll want to. If you Yes, exactly. Liz is an award-winning journalist and author and executive producer and host of several acclaimed digital series at Vox Media and NBC News. We grabbed her again, Ann and I did, because we saw something probably on your Reddit or Substack. I don't even know what all those things mean exactly. But something came in front of us about the Barbie movie that also connected to the way that we talk about the world related to secure relating and and part of this podcast is about like creating little ripples of security, one conversation at a time. This feels like one of those conversations that can move people. So welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited. I love your podcast. As soon as I saw you in my email box, I smiled and it was an immediate yes. I have to say it was so funny, just the behind the scenes. We were so just full of energy after we left the Barbie movie because there was so much to it and we knew it was going to be controversial. There was no way to go see that movie that you didn't know that stuff is going to hit the fan. And literally, as you get to know Sue even more, we could not get home before we've already like been reviewing, reviewing, and up you pop. And that was so exciting. Like, oh my God, Liz, you know, so I think it was that night she ended up reaching out to you and say, we got to get Liz on the show. So it was oh really gosh. sweet. Yeah, there's so many layers. And I and I feel like even last night I got, I've seen it twice and I'll probably see it again, but it's only been what a week or so. And I still had this like sobbing, like post-workout moment where I was realizing another layer of the movie that I hadn't even really thought about. Like, I think it's so interesting, right? That it's seen as this fluffy two hour commercialized thing when there's so many layers to this movie and it, there's so many meanings and it means different things to different people. So I think it's just a, a masterpiece. And 
you know, there's so many layers, but it's very accessible, which means that we can talk about it. And it's not this siloed conversation, you know, that only a few people can really sort of relate to understand. I think it's very inclusive in that way. Well, why don't you begin to walk us through like some of these layers that you've noticed, you know, some of the conversations that you see happening and the controversy? I think that my first reaction, I was a little disappointed. I was worried about the portrayal of feminism and the portrayal of what the world would look like when women win or when everything was solved, I think is, you know, that Barbie solved it. And Barbie land to me was really fun, really cool fantasy land, but that isn't feminism. The goal of feminism is not a place where women do all the jobs and men do none of the jobs or, you know, they do beach, right? The goal of feminism is not actually an all-female Supreme Court and then no representation for men on that Supreme Court. There's a feminist revenge fantasy, which I think is valid, which is expressed in that movie of like women really taking over and what the world would look like when women are in charge. But yeah, I worried that it would play into the hands of the detractors of feminism who for the longest time have said, this is why feminism is bad. And this is why feminists are bad. And this is why you shouldn't listen to them. And, you know, for the love of men and a lot of my work has been focused on men because I want to disprove that. And I want to make sure that people know that, you know, patriarchy hurts everybody and feminism liberates everybody as well. So at the beginning, as much as I loved it, I I was also, yeah, was a little concerned. And then there's all this backlash, right? And, you know, we can talk about the Ben Shapiro burning his Barbies in, in their car and Mad Gates's wife, you know, saying we shouldn't go see it. And it became very political. And then I became very protective. <laughs> like, I had not thought about Barbie for 20 years. And all of a sudden, I would literally take a bullet for Barbie. I, like, to my grave, will fight and protect Barbie because... I started seeing the backlash as even more concerning, actually, right? But yeah, at the same time as the backlash was funny and a lot of people were laughing at it, I thought it was important to take it seriously. And I always do. You know, I think it's important to know what the other side, quote unquote, right, is saying or, or what the person who doesn't agree with you is actually saying. And actually listening is part of, I think, again, remaining civically engaged and being able to have conversation and eventually progress of our society. And so once I started listening to the complaints, you know, it's too woke, so it's too feminist, um, it's anti-man, it reinforces the idea that the genders can't work together, that men are against women. And then I started looking at this list of complaints and I was like, these are not complaints of feminism, these are complaints of the patriarchy. Feminism is a system where all these power structures are eradicated, where women and men are on the same team, working towards the same goals, and patriarchy actually is what you're talking about when you're naming all of those things. And it became clear to me then that I really think that the goal of the movie was not to represent a perfect world, but to really parody and highlight how humiliating and degrading a patriarchy is by flipping the genders and by creating this flipped world where men are treated the way that women are treated right now in the world. And then I went on a deep dive about matriarchy because then, yeah, all these male identifying people on the internet were telling me, no, Barbie land is a matriarchy and matriarchy is the opposite of patriarchy. You know, and we don't know this because we believe the patriarchy is natural. We believe that we've always had this system and it is just not true. Patriarchy is 
like 3,000 to 5,000 years old. We've lived longer without it than we have with it. And there's so many societies that have existed outside of the realm of it. A lot of prehistoric societies are believed to have been matriarchal or at least egalitarian. And matriarchy, because we don't most of the world is, is patriarchal and history is told in a patriarchal lens. We don't realize that the matriarchy is an entirely different system where motherhood is at the center instead of competition and hierarchy. Not that competition and hierarchy are bad, by the way, but matriarchy is completely centered around motherhood. And so because it's matrilineal, it doesn't really matter like who the dad is. It's not as important. So there's no illegitimate children. There's no, everyone takes care of children. It's very collaborative. And so we don't realize that what matriarchy could actually look like in imagining outside of that box of patriarchy is very uncomfortable for a lot of people, but I think is so, so exciting. Yeah. Cause you're saying that whoever doesn't like Barbie for those reasons, for the feminism or what have you, actually that what they don't like is patriarchy. And you had also mentioned the whole thing about us initially studying chimpanzees, which are a patriarchal society and how that perhaps we wouldn't assume all this is natural if we had found bonobo chimps to begin with. <laughs> and we're equally related to chimps as uh, bonobos. And there's been more feminist literature around their society and how they organize because it is a completely matriarchal species. And they are really focused on a lot of sex, a lot of masturbating and like doing, yeah, men are... the female ones are doing are having sex with the male ones the male ones are having sex with the male ones like everyone's having sex with everybody it looks like a equality fun, uh, different yes there we go you're getting and, more people interest you're getting more men out there interested <laughs> wait you, tell me more about that matriarchy would you right? <laughs> yeah you go like wait a minute why don't we we know right and again why do we assume that that one way is is natural and it's because again history is just an interpretation science is just an interpretation and the people who have been interpreting have come from a singular subjective experience. And I won't need to name what that experience is, but it's certainly not been diverse. And so the way that we've even understood the world and, and ourselves is through that patriarchal framing. But people really hold on to it because they don't know anything else, right? We didn't learn about the bonobos in school um, unless maybe we went to like a women's college. I, even then, like I didn't learn about it in women's studies and I did a master's. Like, again, I, I think there's so much reimagining that can be done around this. And I find it really exciting. And that other layer of that I got last night where I, I, I did start to cry, I feel like I am grieving myself like i don't know who i am if i'd lived in a matriarchy i was listening to the billy eilish song like what am i made for when did it end and it was a very kind of spiritual realization that i am me and i'm in a system that is built not for me and wow what could i be if i lived in a system that was different and maybe it's not crazy to think that we could live in a system that's different and think about where we can make those tweaks and create a different world for ourselves. It's our world. We're, we're the ones who made it. You know, we can change it. And I love that, that art and music can move us because we don't know what we don't know. And it's almost like with a contrast that we can feel something. The movie for Anne and I, I don't want to speak for you, Anne, you speak well for yourself, but 
we were thinking of it from the frame of secure relating and some of the conversations we have on the podcast around promoting a mutuality and, you know, part of what secure attachment is, is being able to be connected to yourself at the same time you're connected with someone else so that there's not a domination that we can listen, we can be influenced, or we can also have our voice and we can influence. That that's kind of the frame that we were thinking of. And so the movie Barbie is really interesting from the perspective of, you know, she starts out plastic and, you know, with one note, the bright smile and the extremism of well, kind of what you're saying, what she was made for. So she represents that. And then it's through like these intrusive thoughts that she w- wasn't meaning to have around death that she began to come alive and then the shower was warm or cold or whatever. And then everything began to kind of go quote wrong, but she came to life. So we can't be safe and connected, like totally safe, like siloed safe. Like we can't be plastic and invulnerable. And, and you're the one that had said this, I think about like, it's not toxic masculinity, it's toxic invulnerability. So the plastic is invulnerable, but as she came to life, now, you know, you have tears, they go to the real world and they're self-conscious and insecurity comes in, but that that's part of actual secure relating. And did you have more or? Yeah, this way? act of becoming real is dealing with that fear and, and, and shame ev- and shame and everybody came alive when they could feel the fear. And it feels like. What's so interesting about patriarchy is it so promotes fear because it's all about hierarchy. If someone's on top, somebody's got to be on bottom. Which means somebody's coming after you. Yeah, so it promotes it. And Liz, I love what you were saying about your experience because I was interested with the ending with the men. You know, it it first was like, you know, I thought it was kind of keeping individuals like kind of a revenge fantasy. But then she came back, not super strong, but caring. And like, I'm sorry I did that. But it was all about, but who are you, Ken? But who are you? And it feels like this is the first time as you brought your experience forward that I realized we were both going through, both men and women probably were having that. And that's the experience of, oh, wait, if I'm not in a hierarchy and I'm not being fed who I'm supposed to be through these gender roles, then I really do have to question. So you went through that, like, wait, who am I if I had all that? And they were asking Ken, you know, who are you? And he was like, wait, if I'm not there for my ego and for the competition and for the identity. Or to be arm candy for Barbie. Yeah, like, who am I? So it was their questioning of who they were as well. So I kind of loved hearing your experience of that. Yeah, no, I obviously loved that part of the film. I am Knuff, like all of that stuff I, I thought was so profound and important. And that comes back to, I mean, any dominant group, right, in a hierarchy. It, it, it's even, I think, the way that white people, right, who are you without your whiteness, you know, is I think what, you know, Toni Morrison and James Baldwin, right, like, have tried to encourage white people to do and and to deal with their own discomfort and their own insecurity. And what does whiteness or what does maleness bring you? And what is it, you know, replacing? And I think it comes back to secure, right? It makes you feel secure, but what is it really? And what's fascinating is that Ken, I think, is the less free character, right? I think he's the one who is, has the less freedom because he, whether he's subservient at the beginning 
or that he's dominant when he takes over Barbie Land with the Mojo Dojo Casa House. Um, he, and all the horses. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> what is she talking about? <laughs> and that's when we say, she's like, I haven't seen it yet. I'm like, haven't you seen it at this point? Isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. With just the conversations, you've yeah. seen it. Yeah. But whether he's in the subservient position or the dominant position, right, that he's quote unquote winning in the framework of the patriarchy. He's in charge. He owns the property owns everything he's still not free like when he's subservient he needs barbie to feel a certain way about him or to look at him a certain way or for him to get the wave and you know surf in the right way which you know even that is an entire little metaphor for masculinity because most drowning victims are male i talk about it in the book and it's mostly because men don't take as much uh, precautions and you know like in the barbie movie he wants to impress her and he hurts himself and ends up in the ambulance but then even when he's dominant Ken never comes off as very happy, right? He's not secure in that dominance because he needs to remain dominant, that someone's coming for your spot. And so you constantly need to be hypervigilant or self-aware or be, you know, again, concerned with beating other people instead of connecting with other people. And that's the loss, really, of the kind of patriarchal masculinity that we're talking about. And Another point, you know, that I was thinking about while you were you were talking was I think women have been given a lot of tools and support for breaking out of that box of femininity and to go beyond the traditional definitions of femininity, which I also think that idealized femininity, you know, yeah, she's plastic. She's not necessarily connected to herself. And so the hope for a conversation around masculinity and maybe one that can be spurred from the Barbie movie is for men to have that same kind of reckoning with their idealized masculinity. You know, the Barbie movie celebrates femininity in so many beautiful ways. And I think we can totally celebrate masculinity while also saying, you know, men have a right to also connection and to feel masculine. Well, you know, that's definitely some of what really attracts me to your work which is this really kind way of holding everybody. And rather than approaching it as good, bad, or male, female, or any, any kind of binary like that, that I don't even like that patriarchy is associated. I wish it was not even associated with men. You know it's not I mean? about gender. That's right. Because if you start talking about feminism, you know, that will get people's hackles up. Patriarchy. You can just say that one word and you're going to lose people because they're going to assume all these things about you. And I think that's so sad. But what I like about the way that you frame things is that just like in this movie, it's kind of like in what you said was it's kind of a sleeper and it catches people that weren't necessarily showing up for that. Like, for example, when it flipped and the men were in charge. It seemed so mean to the women, like it was just so kind of also, you know, it was stereotypical Barbie, but this was stereotypical patriarchy, right? Like very kind of extreme, way more extreme than Barbie's patriarchy, which was also patriarchy. That's a really good point. <laughs> right. It was when the men did it, it was much more domineering than just the friendly dismissal, <laughs> friendly neglect of the other sex. You know, like the friendly wave, but then you move on, but it hurts. <laughs> but what I was thinking was there was something about the flip of it that felt so aggressive and like bad. 
But that was part of what the movie did was like helped you see that that's exactly what we experienced. We're just used to it, like not being on the Supreme Court. You know what I mean? So it doesn't feel as aggressive when it's the woman that is the submissive person. But for some reason, it just feels so offensive and aggressive just as an experience when you flip it. And then the men are in these subservient position. It feels, you know. So at the end, when the women deprogrammed the men, and that was interesting, like that's probably something I haven't thought enough about, but like, what was that process? First of all, how did they lose themselves? Just because these men come in and say they want to take over, why did the women drop into these subservient positions so easily? And then what was it that drew them back to themselves where they could feel themselves? But then once they came back to themselves, I was hoping that the end would be this egalitarian much more of a shared power space to show more about what secure relating really looks like, which is shared power and complexity and change and growth and something fresh. But it ended up, I thought, too far flipping in the other direction. So what are y'all's thoughts about any of those things? <laughs> I mean, I agree. Again, when the whole sort of flip around talking about Ken's masculinity happened, I got so excited. And then, you know, one of the Kens asks, okay, does that mean we get a seat on the Supreme Court? And, you know, he gets a, a response. You can get a lower seat court. Maybe you can you can have a little, you know, one little seat in a lower court. And I went like, no. And, you know, I think another character said, you can have what women have in the real world. And again, that's the revenge fantasy, which I get. It is uncomfortable that women don't have the right to abortion, that we don't have bodily autonomy and that these things were taken away by men who are, you know, have historically been in positions of power. But to your point, Sue, I was like, you're so close. And I wanted the same thing, right? I wanted us to realize that patriarchy produces something so unnatural, actually, right? Of just one gender in charge and in positions of influence and power. It is so, I think, so unnatural to not have a woman in the room that I think that it makes men seem worse than they actually are. And what I mean by that is men are great, but if there's no women there that are involved and it's not egalitarian, the best impulses will not come through from men or the loudest voices will not be the best voices. Like we could go into a real examination of what happens in that kind of hierarchy, but the best things don't happen. And I think that if it was egalitarian, men would be better men just by virtue of their being women in the room. And again, that's what I found in some of the research around matriarchy that Actually, the fact that, you know, hunters and gatherers were so egalitarian, the tribes where it was an equal number of, of men and women actually survived. And it was their evolutionary advantage because when there were women in the group, women were able to bring like other clans, like people who are further, like not just family, but that they were actually able to bring and create bonds with other clans and bring the best members in. And so it actually, again, the fact that women were around, it's not just that women are better and men suck, right? But in a patriarchy, you could assume that because of what it produces, which is, I think what so many men who were watching were upset about. I think that there's so much anger directed at feminism and at women but it's actually anger at patriarchy because objectively, and this happened to me on the book tour, I, I would, you know, uh, talk about my whole thing. And then I, you know, the camera would stop rolling and the male host would be, but, you know, admit it, women are better. 
there's this kind of idea, right, that women are just better and men suck. And I think that that's what they're upset about. Because to your point, Sue, the destruction of the Kens is horrible. And at that point, you're kind of identifying with the main character and you like her. And it's hard to watch them do that. But that's what happens, unfortunately, every day in so many different ways. And I think that accepting that is really hard for a lot of men because that means thinking you're bad. And I think that it's not men that's bad. It's the way that we've, it's like, yeah, this patriarchal organization that can make them more likely to be bad. That's my theory. I completely agree. And I think we don't make change unless we can feel the benefit of it. And if it's a competition and getting out of the conversation about whether it's going to be men or women ruling is just not the conversation. It's how do we have shared power? But I love what you're saying, Liz, because shared power is better for everybody. It is not an either or. And in fact, when we get into either or thinking, one of the signs of that is that is your most insecure way of being. That our brain, literally, when we get activated in threat, our instinct is to go to right, wrong, bad, good, and we get black and white. And that shows that we're activated, not that we're in a secure place. Secure place sees complexity. It sees commonalities. It has curiosity. And I think the more that men and women realize we're not trying to destroy values of anybody, what we're trying to do is promote a more secure way of living, no matter what your value is, like the more secure way of integrating together. To get back to the movie, it's interesting. Like, I was with you, like, why didn't they have it more egalitarian? But as I think about it, as we're talking about it, it's a little bit what is activating the talk. Had they done that, it would have been a snoozer almost because it would have brought us into an ideal world that the act of getting there is going to be hard. It's like if we were to say, okay, now if y'all would just share your power, we'll all be here together. But there is so much threat in sharing that power because we have to give it up that it feels like, A, that they were trying to stir, oh my God, this is really what it's like. And to Sue, to your point, that it's so unfair that it feels horrific. So it pisses us off. So it activates it. But it's also kind of like their point that all of a sudden giving us doctors and lawyers make us better people in Barbie land. But it was like, are you kidding? We are so full of the pain that's still there, no matter what our opportunities are, you know, getting to that speech from America. It was powerful. So I kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, I really like in a weird way that it left it kind of aggravating and unrealistic. I wish it wouldn't have gone so negative. I'm 100% with you on that because it did kind of sound like now, you know, bad, good, but that it ended going, okay, you're going to get it just where we are now. And that's how hard it really is still. That's how much work we have to do. One thought about that is that if you put them there just because they want to be there or whatever, it's like, do they know themselves yet to be in a position like the Supreme Court? And like the whole question was like, find out who you are. You might not be it. You know, oh, I want to be on the Supreme Court. Well, maybe let's take some examination of who you are. I also think that 
it ending on an egalitarian thing still kind of puts the onus on women to figure this out when patriarchy is a power structure, right? There are the people who maintain it are not women. So it does require all of us to work together and collaborate, but it requires work from men to figure out who they are, to figure out who they want to be, to connect with themselves and all of that. So I think that we can't live in an egalitarian society until men do that. You know, I hate calling it work. The labor, it is. It is, but but again, I think change has to be like fun and sort of exciting. And and I feel sometimes I wonder if I'm like framing it in. That's why I love like the language of reimagining, you know, masculinity. Just that this is an opportunity for growth. But yes, it can't just be like okay, truth, you know, and everything's okay now. In a way, I think our society is that we are like egalitarian. You know, I'm I'm doing big quotation marks here because. I think that we believe that we are equal, but we're not. And so it creates a lot of dysfunction and conflict. Again, while I was thinking about a matriarchy of motherhood or, or even the, you know, within patriarchy, men don't just own all the objects and the land and, and all of that. They also own people. They own their children and they own their wife. That's why, you know, the first rape law was actually not even about a violation of a woman's personhood. It was property damage. And that's why men could seek um, damage, even. <laughs> yes, property damage. And then you see where that seeps into our entire culture of even this idea that women who are assaulted are are damaged goods like that comes from that. Right. This again, we don't think that women are property anymore or we like to think that we are you know, we have evolved past that or we'd like to think that we think that mothers are important. But look at how we treat them. And so I think there's a lot of cognitive dissidence. That's what America, you know, Farrah's, I think, speech was was also really about. And so, yeah, I think it not ending in this perfect bow and it's showing the messiness of this work might also be important. Some of the ways that we're also trying to frame this is we do talk about work and doing the work and stuff like that, but it's also like there's a benefit, just kind of like what you're saying, the men were freed from patriarchy. Like there was a gain for them. It's not about giving up power. It's giving up a false pseudo power. So we talk a lot about what they get and you know, they don't even know. And we, you know, from an attachment standpoint, it's really interesting because when you're kind of cut off and you're isolated, you don't even know what you're missing. So like really trying to appeal to people that are a little bit more invulnerable and maintain that and maintain that separateness and, and the power that kind of the seduction of this is actually better over here. Like there was a freedom. All the Kens got freed from something from both the front part of the movie and from the patriarchy. So there's a huge gain. I'm just contrasting that to the idea of work, even though it does take work you have to have the courage to cry and be vulnerable and, you know, do all those things that Ken did in the end, you know, I don't know, you know, uncertainty, but the reward on the other side, that's to me what we're all, the, what the three of us right now and all the people, it's like we're fighting for this really um, bonobo <laughs> world <laughs> that is better. Okay. It is better for everybody. <laughs> bonobo males do get their private parts cut off sometimes. I, I'll say there is. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> there is that was a record scratch. <laughs> 
<laughs> They've eradicated male violence against females in the bonobo species through female bonds and, and coalition. But sometimes the females do lash out. But overall, matriarchal <laughs> they societies are less violent. I mean, there's a whole New York Times article that, that gives you, again, the full picture. Matriarchal societies are less violent overall than patriarchal societies. And I will say also, you know, there's violence against men already in, in, in patriarchy, right? There is no perfect world, right? And that's the part that you're talking about, which is acknowledging this is what you get out of patriarchy, but here's the long list of things that you, you know, suffer from in patriarchy. And I think to your point, that's super interesting, right? That when you're disconnected, you don't even know what what you're missing, right? It's not even that you don't know what you're disconnected from. You don't even know you're disconnected from it. So it's very, that's a really fascinating way of describing it. And and again, I think the, the work is pointing out those things. To what I think is exciting about what y'all are saying is we're, you know, trying to help people, all of us connect to what's good about this, that it's not taking away from anybody that we're all gaining. And as a couples therapist, there's so often times that men are so cut off from the true connections that they really desire, that they want. They may think they want it sexually, but it's still like not satisfying, but they can't put a, a, a pin on what it is. And I think that is why the episodes, which were actually really funny, really connecting, but very painful of all the ways they were able to get the women away from the men in that moment, they played each one of them a role that we all could relate to, whether it was, oh, I'd listening to this. the music being sung at you. Oh, that was <laughs> that was the most fun. Like, like I was all of a sudden thinking about like they think that they're so connected that their connection and their value is about being important and the smart one and the charismatic one and the one that draws attention. And so they think because it's filling this artificial system of importance that is not their value. That's not their value. But we all play along. Who has not related to every one of those scenes <laughs> that we submit ourselves to, you are so important. You are so smart. Oh, I love your song. And like, who couldn't relate to those scenes? Yeah, it's wild. It's and, painful. And that, no, yeah. And that's such a great way to frame it, right? Because I think, again, for some men who are watching they feel like they're being ridiculed, right? But we're not ridiculing men. We're ridiculing the ideal of masculinity that you're told to become and, and adhere to and measure yourself against. But that nuance is tricky, right? Because again, a lot of people were like, if there was a you know movie where we did this to women, there's been a whole history, right, of, of ridiculing female interests. And it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I mean, history is like, it's just, that's what it is, right? And that's every movie before, like, maybe 2005. Like, like women were that's just test. girlfriends. Yeah, and you were playing guitar at us. And that, that was what <laughs> on us. was. Yeah, like a metaphor <laughs> was like... Masturbatory, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look and, at Elvis. Look at all the Elvis shows. What were the women in Elvis? So when they say, if we did this to women, y'all would be like, are you kidding me? We are so used to seeing, and if you think about it, what is Barbie? Barbie, <laughs> like, I think you had written, somebody, had, uh, Barbie in real life would be five foot nine and 110 pounds. On all fours. Yeah. She would be qualified as anorexic. And there's that element too, right? Where 
this is still a very hyper feminine, you know, yes, it's diverse. Yes, the Barbies are different, but are they like, you know, they're beautiful, gorgeous, exactly stunning. And I love the clothes. I love the fashion, but that's not what we all look like, you know, most of the time. And so it's not even this, I don't know, revolutionary take on womanhood, you know, it's, it's actually pretty like constrictive. Well, I want to get in that there's a CDC study, the CDC, the Surgeon General report, it was a 2023 study about isolation. So this idea, just going back half a step to this, to it's not just men that don't know, but people that are kind of in this invulnerable cutoff space, even like if you think about COVID, you know, once we cut off, there's a shutting down that happens and then it becomes awkward to then go back and socially engage right? It becomes almost aversive. It's like, oh, I don't want to do those things. Well, what the study was showing was that there are all these neurochemical changes that happen that are really destructive to our stress response system. Oxytocin gets all screwed up because we're bonobos. <laughs> we're social creatures. And so, you know, isolation is the way that you punish a prisoner. So just kind of highlighting, it's like, but you don't know. And we can kind of feel that when we think about COVID and you know, that it was a thawing out process to come back and be social. But if somebody has been socialized, that that's good and that that's what you're supposed to do, then there is absolutely not a conscious awareness of missing anything. But the damage is being done. And there's, again, attachment research on this, that if you put like skin galvanizing measures, you know, on these kids that have kind of already zipped up like that, they look like they're not stressed when they separate from their parent. They look like they're just playing with their toys and they're fine. But when you actually measure their physiology, they are freaking out. But what's so crazy is they don't know it. So it's not that they're freaking out and pretending like they're not. It really bypasses their conscious awareness. And all they know is they want to play with the xylophone and then grow up. I want to just be on my computer or you know, be playing my games with my buddies you know, I don't even notice you coming and going, but it actually isn't true. So I, again, I think that that's part of the framing of that this is delivering something really important that people don't even know that they need. That is such a great way to put it. And I see it in myself, even though I, I you know, I obviously it's not a masculinity thing for me, but I'm of this generation too, of, of being on your phone, you know, feeling really comfortable interacting with people sort of virtually being afraid of phone calls, you know, when like, when I was eight or nine, like I wasn't afraid of the phone. Like I, I would just kind of talk and when it was over, it was over. And now I have all this anxiety around, yeah, just connecting, which is that's what that is. And it's so interesting because when you're in it, you continue to feel bad. And so then you continue to isolate. It's just self-perpetuating. Yes, it's self-fulfilling. Exactly. So that's a really powerful way of, of talking about it. And yeah, I wonder for men, like I wish there was a study that we could do similarly, right? That men who you know, say that they're happy on their own or whatever, right? That they don't really want more friends or, and seeing like, is that true? Well, there are those studies actually, you know, there's a bunch of studies on power and that the farther you rise up in power, the less that your mirror neuron system works. So, you know how, like when, if somebody falls, you kind of cringe or, you know, if somebody's gagging, you kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your neurons fire as if it's yours, but it's not, or even crying in a movie, it's not your sadness. But that as you rise in power, that that mirror neuron system begins to disengage. And so there's less mimicry, facial mimicry. Basically, the empathy system begins to lose. And what they described it as is like a brain injury, that these folks are literally functioning 
in this regressed way, which we can see as, you know, in the politics and things like that. It's like there's a lack of awareness, both neurologically, but then also as you go up, you don't have people giving you live feedback, honest, vulnerable live feedback that you value and that you take in. So you become more and more, again, siloed and isolated and then have all these other negative effects. That is so fascinating. That power does to the brain what looks like a brain injury, I think is such a fascinating way to put it. We just had him on the podcast, Dacker Keltner. Well, Keltner, right. Who actually just published a book about awe. You know, I had read this other stuff. And then later when we were writing the book, I was quoting him. And I'm like, we just had him on the podcast for awe, but we didn't talk about power at all. But it was his research. Which highlights the idea of why we want to get away. If instead, if we don't think about patriarchy as about being about men, we think, or about a man, it's not even really about masculinity. Masculinity is a construct that we've promoted as a certain way of being. Men aren't supposed to be there not sharing their feelings and connecting and being vulnerable. Like you mentioned many years ago, that was not the way life is. But if we continue a hierarchical structure, the more hierarchical we are, the more totalitarian we are, we have people then ruling us that don't have empathy or connection. So to your point, Liz, by bringing women in the room who really have been conditioned to really stay connected to empathy, it just empowers all of us in a more connecting way. Yeah. And again, I think women act differently when when men are around and men act differently when women are around. I think it's so interesting to talk about these things as unnatural things to do to humans, you know, whether it's giving too much power to someone creating almost like a brain injury or, or again, you know, this sort of idea of we're not supposed to be operating in men versus women sort of spaces or uniquely male spaces because conservatives and progressives like tend to think differently, right? George Lakoff, he wrote Don't Think About an Elephant, and he does a lot of behavioral science and neuroscience and talks about just what are the values that conservatives tend to think are important versus progressives. And conservatives do tend to believe that hierarchy is important. And it gives them that, I think, a sense of security and safety. And progressives, you know, tend to want more centralized forms of power. And we've kind of associated those with masculine and feminine, even though I'm not sure if that's even remotely true. But yeah, these are just ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they're just ideas. And, that, you know, other th- about politics, it's like also there's something about conservatism being related to fear. Like some of this division and polarization is fear unregulated and it's threat unregulated. And so going back to Barbie, learning like what this wet thing is on my face and what this tear is and what's causing the tear and all of these things helps us regulate which if we can regulate, then we're not reacting to our terror and to our threat and to our fear. We're not then having to go into those regressed self-protective place. We, you know, when we're triggered, like when Anne and I are arguing or whatever, if she gives me feedback and I really am in this dysregulated place, I'm probably going to be not very nice. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be like, oh, thank you for that wonderful feedback, Anne Kelly. Right? I'll probably be like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> no, she's not. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess what I'm saying, like, that's one of the things that we like to do is like, this is a human issue because we're mammals and we have a biology. That's all it is. Threat or not threat. We're in our ventral vagal connected space which allows for mutuality and curiosity and those things, or we're not, and we're self-protective. The more we can learn about the brain and the mind and relationships so that we can regulate and like, oh, I'm just afraid right now, or I'm a little nervous, or I'm a little jealous, or 
and had to teach me of like, Sue, you're not angry, you're jealous. Oh, I <laughs> oh. love that. Jealousy is so hard. Oh. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> I'm like, I hate that girl. <laughs> <laughs> So what I'm, my point is now I go, oh, I'm just jealous. So this whole thing about emotional regulation and recognition, which was in the movie, it was as she became more complex and as he became more complex and at the end was crying, actually, that now we have this chance for equality and egalitarianism. Do you think that men and women feel secure in different ways or is it the same? If you're talking genetically temperamentally or socially constructed. I think men and women socially constructed experience fear in different ways. I think threat hits our bodies similarly, but what activates us, which is what I think that message in that movie is so amazing because it shows the men getting activated if they don't feel like they are the smartest one in the room or the best player. And nobody is. And the freedom that they get to have by taking that pressure off them, by really deactivating that, and then letting themselves feel secure in their vulnerability. Like we mistake the idea of the feeling of security or being secure with a feeling of being the smartest, the brightest, the or being prettiest. in control. Being right? in control. It's so external for the men in the movie, whether they're winning or losing, you know, if we put it in black and white terms. And to me, isn't the the whole goal of feeling secure? Like you can't ever feel secure if you need someone else to act a certain way because you literally cannot control how that person. No matter your gender. <laughs> exactly. You know, women are, don't get me started. Like my relationship with control and, you know, all the ways that it shows up in my life is so, but yeah, my points of deepest unhappiness is where I'm trying to control something that is not within my control. And that is again, outside of me. And so I think for men and women, but maybe for men that work looks, you know, sort of different. How to be a man without anyone else seeing you be a man, <laughs> you know, and you'll still feel like a man. It's such an impossible bind. And, you know, we're talking about gender. Of course, we, you know, we're talking about not a, on a binary and all of those things. It's so hard to talk about it, but there is some research around, like if you drop a book or whatever really loud, that folks, I don't want to say that identify as male, but back in the day when the research was male and female, that everybody's heart rate goes up, but men's heart rate would go higher and stay higher. Whereas women would startle at the book. And then the idea was, and again, this gets so, I almost hate to talk about it because of the problems with a binary gender construction, but that women would be less reactive and then come down and then be able to connect and relate. Whereas the men, I mean, this was the um, theory, were more prone to the higher reaction and then staying alert, like the idea of being kind of protective. And this is also shows up in like gay relationships and stuff like that. And the research on long-term couples about men and how two men fight versus how two women fight. But I think the biggest thing is socialization and culture that's fascinating. So men, gay men, there's a more heightened heart rate response that lasts longer. And women will, will have like, they see that with gay couples. Yeah. So this is John Gottman's research. And that basically, if you think about it, and most heterosexual couples, again, don't want to be stereotypical or anything like that. But it's often the women that will start the conversation that might be the one to apologize. You know what I mean? They go for repair. They go for repair. There's something about that. They're tending to the connection. 
and because if they're physiologically are a little bit more able to have a little activation and come back down, then they're going to be kind of the emotional regulator. So if you get two women together that are emotional regulators, you're going to have a better chance of, you know, we have other problems, right? Like, the, you know, maybe overprocessing or, you know, again, <laughs> always needing to regulate. <laughs> Our, yes, exactly. But the research showed that two women together, you know, there was a lot of passion and there was a lot of fighting, but then there was a lot of, because you have two people that are interested in coming back together, like have been socialized to be interested to coming back together. But with two men, you know, like two men together could talk about like, God, did you see that guy's chest? And, you know, they could relate to like enjoying the world and not being threatened by those things and stuff like that. But when threat would come in and there would be some sort of activation that you don't necessarily have that someone that's socialized to regulate. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of really wonderful things, but like extended eye contact, you're either going to make out or fight. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> like something's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not sure which way this is going to go, but <laughs> if I keep looking at you, something is going to happen. <laughs> and yet, you know, men need that. And I think that's what we're all advocating for. It isn't for women to be in power, men to be in power, but it's like men do need co-regulation every bit as much as women do. It is actually a fallacy that women need it and men don't. That is socialized. It is, you know, the man goes out after having a huge problem and hangs out with his buddy, comes home, never talks about it. That's not helpful. It might distract, but everybody can benefit and it's research bound from we need the connection. We need the safety. We need the vulnerability. So that's why we're trying to get away from this whole, I mean, I, the, the concept of a toxic masculinity has been so empowering and so, but it, it somehow becomes like a, a it becomes gendered. It becomes gendered. And so that's why we want to try to make it toxic and vulnerability. It's like any culture that's promoting invulnerability, no matter your gender. That is what that movie is about, that we want to fight it for everybody. It's like, we want to have vulnerability and connection and safety in that. So what do you think about this notion of toxic and vulnerability? You know, a couple of weeks before my book was published, I called my editor and gave her a, a nightmare call, which was like, I'm taking out toxic masculinity out of the entire book. And there were a lot of times where I, I used, because you know, that's the term, right? And I, again, thought this is going to turn off the people who really, I think, need to read this book and, and be part of this community of change. So I think degendering this conversation is really important. I think depoliticizing it is really important and talking about it as just something that sort of helps everybody. And I think that's why I've written more about the connections to mental health in the last few years, because it's an easier way into these conversations, right? Instead of saying, what do you think about abortion? It's like, tell me about the relationship with your dad and, and tell me about what you loved about your dad and what you didn't love about your dad. Tell me about what it means to be a man to you, right? That these are opening questions. They're questions that create connection and invite connection rather than questions that discourage it. And I think I've just enjoyed myself a lot more and, and my conversations a lot more when I'm doing that. Yeah, just talking about it from a point of connection. Even vulnerability, unfortunately, I think is still like gender coded of like female coded. Anyway, I was talking to this breathwork guy and he gives classes to men. And, and for, for instance, he says like, I don't use intuition. I use instinct with men, right? Like just the language that you're going to use is going to, you know, invite a different kind of person into the conversation. So 
the work you're doing is so important and you're, yeah, you're degendering it is huge. Well, I love all these different spokes and just approaching it through mental health instead of political or gender is great. And we're doing that as well, but also like really talking about biology because that becomes so shame-free because we all have bodies and it's universal. And we talk about, you know, it's not just me, it's my amygdala. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's, so it's another way. I really like just the general conversation of like approachability and keeping people engaged and not turning people off so that we can have hard conversations and, and, and learn and influence. And accept differences. Like the questions and asking openness is like, a, it's so non-political. I know that we tapped on progressives and conservatives. But what we're talking about is not a political division because we need differences. We're based on having this variety of opinions about things and growing and we're better listening and having diverse opinions. It is the promotion of the openness and the conversation I think we're all trying to get behind. Yeah. And we've been slotted in those categories. Again, what could we be if we didn't live in a society, you know, and particularly I think a country that was so in invested in this binary, like you're either on this side or on the other side. It's like, maybe I'm not on either <laughs> one. Like, who am I really? And I just see so much opportunity for self-exploration and connection, right? And I guess your, your point about eye contact too reminds me of like Jay-Z in an interview, I think with the New York Times a couple of years ago said, you know, men in you know neighborhoods where he grew up, men don't look at each other. They don't make eye contact because there's a threat there. There's, you know, this sort of danger. And what would it look like for men to be able to look into each other's eyes? Gaze is so important. Connect, yes. Like it's not just connect with us and connect with your female partners. And it's like connect with other men and actually connecting with other men and connecting with yourself. I love it. I think it's great. I'm on board. Just so that we don't end on total kumbaya. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, why can't we ever end on Kumbaya? Well, because I want, you know, like this whole thing of like, you know, it's just connection and stuff like that. And forget gender. There are people that are absolutely opposed to this and that are really, really exploiting all of our relationality. So this wouldn't be so tipped, you know, without like really active participation. But I also like the idea of, but they're also responding to what they're supposed to do, their own scripts. And so earlier you said men sometimes look worse than they are. And I like that. I mean, that's hopeful. That's one of the reasons, honestly, that I wanted to jump on and do this really quickly with Barbie is it's like my fantasy was let's give men that are going to watch the movie a way to watch it without feeling attacked. Like if it's about patriarchy, it's not about me and it's not about making fun of men. They're talking about systems. And then I can be open and watch the movie. And that was really part of my whole thing was like, yeah, let's give them a frame so they can relax and just watch the movie. Yeah. Hierarchy is not also like a bad thing, right? And and organizing in very clear, distinct categories, you know, in certain cases, binaries, like, like, I think it brings order in a certain way. And I can understand. I mean, I like a certain order, you know, I like to, to know <laughs> that we're all in the same time zone. And you know what I mean? Like, just that things are in, in order in a certain way that I can rely on certain things of, you know, inside my reality. And I think that's been the breakdown for so many of us is that our realities feel, you know, every morning we wake up and there's a different literal or, or figurative fire, but we're not saying that masculine things are bad or that men are bad or that hierarchies are bad. It's that we've tipped 
all the way into one way. And it's making our lives a little more difficult. Well, it's killing people. Yeah. <laughs> it's killing. Yes. I was, I, I mean, was I'm thinking trying about to- trans and, you know, like, God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, a lot of people are suffering under this system. And so it's not about eradicating one thing. It's this sort of Swiss army knife sort of metaphor of, of masculinity. It's not about saying you take out, you know, the knife and you take out this tool. And it's about saying we need more tools. Sometimes aggression and sometimes violence is necessary, but let's create all kinds of other ways of expressing ourselves and understanding ourselves. It's about adding, not necessarily like getting rid, you know, and subtracting. It's about complexity. Yeah. Yeah. Complexity. Integration. That's, you know, big integration, complexity. And hierarchy needs to be able to be curious and inclusive and talking. Like no matter if you're on the top of the chain and you, we need somebody there, we need them still listening and open to feedback and not feeling invulnerable. The hierarchy can't be invulnerable. And I'd love, Liz, your point, like it's also, let's get out of the divisions. This isn't a conversation of either or. That's where the complexity is so important. We so appreciate your time and you coming on. So if folks are interested in reaching out or you kind of, where would you like to send folks and, and tell us what you're doing? Like, tell us some of this new stuff. Yeah. Well, so super excited to be launching this podcast on Armchair. So it's with Dak Shepard and Monica Padman. I'm co-hosting it with Monica. It's called Synced and it's available wherever you get your podcasts and it's on the Armchair, you know, sort of feed. So if you're, you know, follow that feed, you'll get it right there. And we are taking in questions and sort of moral dilemmas, whether again, they're small things, which is like, I don't know, should I bring a plus one to my wedding or I didn't get a plus one to a wedding? What should I do? Or, you know, really complex complicated, uh, you know, very nuanced issues that people are, are going through. And you answer your questions. We give very unlicensed advice as opposed to this podcast. We are the polar opposite. Uh, we are a binary <laughs> and we are the on the end. Uh, but it's, you know, it's more about creating a third place for people because we are, I think, lacking so much connection and we don't go out as much and we're not in sort of communal spaces as much. A lot of people feel like they don't have a a friend to talk to. So this is kind of trying to create that, you know, sort of a phone a friend concept that we want to offer people. I also am feminist tabulous on Instagram, on Twitter or whatever it's called now, threads, and I'm on TikTok and I have a Substack, which you can subscribe to. It's called Airplane Mode. And it's all about solution-based journalism framing of like current events and just stuff that's sort of going and swirling around in the world. The goal of airplane mode is to either make you feel better about the world or make you feel better about yourself. So that's my mission. So yeah, you can find me in all those places. And my book is for the love of men. If you want to get it, you can get it at your local bookstore, wherever you get your books. And we highly recommend, yeah, the Substack. Smart, witty, new, fresh. It's a really easy way to kind of stay connected, but not get overwhelmed. By the way, all of this will be listed in our show notes. She has a lot to follow. So all of it will be there. That's right. And so a reminder, we had another episode. If you're, if you're hanging around, you're still there. You might love this. You might love Liz. Episode 119. You can get more of her uh, with Therapist Uncensored. I'm Sue Marriott. And this is Ann Kelly. And we so appreciate you listening to us. If you appreciate this kind of content, please leave us a rating and review on your any podcast player, on your favorite podcast player. It helps discoverability and helps other people find these kinds of incredible guests and resources and conversations about spreading security one conversation at a time. Thanks. And we'll see you around the bend.
Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.